As crazy as this may sound, we have just about six weeks left in the college basketball regular season. And then the 2023 Women's NCAA Tournament will be here. Who gets in? Who doesn't? And how do we get our field of 68? We're going straight to the source today, and it all starts right now. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball. Happy Monday, friends. It is January 30th, 2023. I am Missy Heydrich, National Women's Basketball Correspondent at The Next. Thank you for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. And today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Prize Picks. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code Locked On. That's prizepicks.com, promo code Locked On. Now that conference play is in full swing all across the country, day in and day out, we are getting outstanding games and individual performances. But what happens now and all the games prior absolutely impacts the selection process for the NCAA tournament. So today we are going to dive into that process. We're going to talk about metrics, formats, the intangibles, and what is asked of the selection committee each year and what we will see maybe now, between now and Selection Sunday. I am honored to have the chair of the 22-23 Division I Women's Basketball Committee here today, Lisa Peterson. Lisa is the Senior Associate Commissioner of the Pac-12, a role that she began just this past September and has had a long-standing career in higher education and Division I athletics. Most recently, that was 11 years as part of the leadership team at Oregon. Welcome, Lisa, to Lockdown Women's Basketball. Thank you so much for having me, Missy, and thank you for paying so much attention to women's basketball. We love that. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. All right. We are going to start right from the get-go. I know uh, Sunday, March 12th, that's Selection Sunday and uh, for the NCAA tournament, and it probably has to be coming down the tracks at all of you on this committee, sort of like a high-speed train. There's a lot going on. Um, and I want to start just talking a little bit about the selection committee in general, um, how it is put together and how each of you spend your time now. Uh, what are your responsibilities from the start of the season in November? I know you have meetings, you know, all year long. But as you think about the start of the basketball season to when you select that bracket, what does this process look like for all of you? Sounds great. Well, let's start with the committee makeup. And recently there was a change at the NCAA when it came to the basketball committee makeups where the power five, as we affectionately call um, those conferences, they all have a seat at the table every year. And the committee was uh, moved from 10 members to 12 members to help accommodate for that change. And then how you get the other um, seven members of that, it's really based on basketball success. And so they look at how a conference does, you know, in recent years. And then the it's determined there's different categories of the number of leagues in, you know, maybe the ones that are right below the power five. And then, you know, the ones that are below that and your conference has to nominate you. And, um, you know, they really want people who are going to put in the work and it's a lot of work as, as you said. Um, and so, you know, it comes to the, 
the NCAA actually selects like the committee that's there gets to have input and see, um, you know, the folks that have applied for the position or been nominated for the position, but the NCAA and all of their committees actually select those folks. So we get 12 members from a vast um, variety of backgrounds and experience in basketball and, you know, levels at their institutions. And we are fortunate that we have a makeup, we have athletic directors, as well as, you know, like you said, commissioners and um, deputy athletic directors, SWAs. The one thing that we do not have is coaches. So the coaches are, their voice is used in a different way, which we can talk about, but it's really made up of administrators and you have to have a background in women's basketball. So that's how the committee is formed. Um, and then what we do, and you talked about that fast moving train, there was um, a post on social media that said 50 days until selection Sunday. And that went in our group text and everybody was like, wait, 50 days. It's really hard to believe that we're almost upon February, but wow, there's been some exciting basketball that's been happening. Um, as far as what we're responsible for, as you mentioned, yes, we have a, um, a lot of meetings that we do. And it's what's really been nice is, you know, what occurred at the at the 21 championships with the gender equity review. We actually have a lot more collaboration, which has been a lot of fun. Um, you know, we're meeting with the men's basketball committee on a regular basis. Um, and then this year we have the exciting task of having all three divisions that are going to be in Dallas for the final four. So we have joint calls with division one, two and three, which has also been really great. Then it comes to watching games. Yes, we have a lot of metrics and we can talk about what all of that is, yeah. but really you have to watch games um, because, you know, a lot of conferences, they don't play double round robins. They don't have equitable schedules. And so you can't just go by the numbers. You know, you really have to, to pay attention. And, you know, as you know, um, who's coming in and out of your lineup, whether that's injury, illness, you know, family matters, whatever that is, it really is who is available and who's available, um, you know, throughout the season, but then who's going to be available you know, when the season is over. We've seen a lot of high profile teams who've lost a lot of people, key people to season ending injuries. And that does impact um, when we go into the seeding process. So right now we are focused um, we're getting a top 16 reveal coming up next week, which we'll talk about that, I'm sure. But we, um, we're we meeting. We actually meet in Indianapolis next week uh, at the full committee. We are doing regional advisory calls, and that's where we get the coach's voice. So what that is is each conference has a coach that's selected, and then they report out on their conference. And okay. we do conference monitoring calls with the league, so we understand, like, where the conference office is coming from. But that's not necessarily the same as what the coaches think. You know, and the coaches are playing the games. They're the ones that are in there. Yeah. They might know things that the conference office doesn't. And yeah. so that's when we get their voice in the room, which has been really helpful throughout all of that. So I know that's a really long answer to, to your preamble, but hopefully I, I – got all of those questions. No, absolutely. All right. Now, one of the things that uh, is new coming into this year if for the 2023 uh, NCAA tournament is that your, your committee announced after the summer meetings that it was moving from a four-host regional format to a two-host regional format. So this year, eight teams will go to two host cities, Seattle and Greenville, South Carolina. What was the biggest factor in that change? And, and what information did you all use in making that decision for this season? So I wasn't on the committee when that decision was actually made. But the, what we have talked about um, was you're going to have four days of wall-to-wall -wall basketball. And one of the other things that we heard was um, – or that, you know, the, the previous committee that made that determination heard was um, you, when you have the teams like that, that are together, like, I think it makes for a really cool environment in a city. Um, the idea that you, you know, when we do bracketing, 
you try to do a true S curve, but one thing that always plays into that is geography. Yeah. Now we're going to have a lot more flexibility when you're, everybody's basically going to be flying, you know, right. With, with where the teams are situated. So that kind of takes away some of that. And I think it's just the excitement of, you know, what it, it could be. Also that decision was made, but then we end up in the bubble, right. Where you've got all 64 teams and it was a really, really unique environment. And I think that everybody loved despite the restrictions that we had, everybody loved having, you know, that number of teams that are together. Now, the way the regionals are going to work, it's still two separate regionals in the sense that you've got your game days, you know, on, on Friday and Sunday and then Saturday and Monday. So it's going to operate like two separate ones. There won't be that crossover as far as um, two different regions playing on the same day. But when you're looking at the TV schedule and what you can watch for four straight days, because you've got the one in Seattle, you've got the one in Greenville, I mean, you don't need to leave your couch. It should be the best four days ever. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes right back to that growing popularity of women's basketball, which is really one of the underlying currents that we continue to see, whether that's fans and stands all across the country right now, people that want to come out and that are coming out to watch the NCAA Unblade tournament. But then, as you said, people that are at home and they tune on their television, you know, the numbers don't lie in that aspect. All right. So now my next question to you is we got to talk about numbers because um, <laughs> we were talking about this just a moment ago. But before we talk about too much about the process of what goes on in that room when you all sit together, um, I want to talk about selection criteria because I feel like the buzzword in college basketball, men's and women's, is net. Net rankings in college basketball. Everybody and their mother wants to talk about it. Um, but I think what is important for people to understand, and one thing that I know I always try to reiterate to people, is, is that what the women's criteria is, is it's net included with other things, which is not necessarily how the men's selection committee operates. So can you just tell me a little bit or help me out here in the best way to explain to people the criteria process that you all use? So we have 14 different ones and in alphabetical order, because I wanted to make sure I didn't miss any. I pulled it up. So don't <laughs> mind me, but I do want to read it to you. So yes. availability of talent, which is what I talked about. And, you know, we can look down the, the top 10 right now of people that are missing, you know, talent and could be missing for the whole season. So that that is a factor in it. Um, bad losses. And, you know, uh, when when those losses occurred, um, common opponents. So when you're looking at people trying to compare and when you're slicing between, you know, who's number 20 and who's number 21, it could be a thin piece of paper. And so um, it's significant when you look at common opponents to try and, you know, help decipher what that looks like. Are they competitive in the losses, you know, and, and who was available during those losses? That mm -hmm. also matters. Um, conference record, certainly. And as we talked about, the conference um, may not necessarily have a, a true round, you know, double round robin or true where everybody's playing everybody equally. So you look at that conference record and try to figure out all that in mind. Early competition versus late competition. Who's playing well now? That yes. certainly matters. And one of the, the key criteria um, on the, the sheet that we get is the last 10. That's kind of how it's broken down. It's what it looks like for the last 10. Head to head, you know, I, you certainly have to do that. And it's obviously more difficult when a team plays each other twice and one wins one and one wins the other one. You know, so when did that happen? What were the factors that, that went into that? So you can't just look at the scores. You know, you really have to pay attention to what's happening. Certainly in the net, you know, as we have talked about, but what's their non-conference record? And, you know, what what did they do when it came to scheduling? Did they do a a, a tougher if they're if they're in a 
a less tough conference, let's mm -hmm. say, did they go out and schedule tough, you know, for those non-conference and how did they do in that? Um, what is their overall record? Um, their regional rankings. And that's what I talked to you about where we get those coaches voices because that's what they do in their regions. There's five regions across the country and they rank the top 20 in each of their reason, regions. And so we definitely use that. And what are their significant wins? And, and again, the timing of those. And then again, the strength of the conference. And we look at that, you know, just because like I said, there, there are some pretty tough conferences out there and you could easily go down to the number nine or number 10 team in some of them. And it's still a tough league. So you, you take all of that, but as I said before, it, none of that beats actually watching games, which is what we are doing all the time. And we have a, a group text that we go back and forth. Um, you know, when you're watching games, what to watch for, Oh my gosh, can you believe that just happened? So it's actually a lot of fun, but we, we watch a lot of games. <laughs> well, they're probably not much that gets by any of you. That is for sure. All right. So in just a moment, we're going to dive in with Lisa a bit more into the process. Three phases that they outline, select, seed, and place when it comes to that field of 68 that is now part of women's basketball and March Madness. But first, I have to tell you about our new friend or our friends who bring today's episode is brought to you by prize picks. So how does it work? Well, you pick two to six players in whatever sport you're in. And if they will go score more or less than their prize picks projection, then you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. No competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available. They offer projections on any sport that you can watch NBA, NFL, college football, men's college basketball, women's soccer, you pick it. They've got it. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It is that easy. It is safe and fast and currently operational in over 30 states and Canada. So what you've got to do is download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with the promo code LOCKED ON. If you deposit $100, Price Picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, Price Picks will give you $50. So don't forget to enter the promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. I am Missy Heidrich, and thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen today. I am so honored to be joined by Lisa Peterson, chair of the Division I NCAA Women's Basketball Committee. All right, Lisa, we've been talking about numbers, kind of how this process works for all of you. Um, but I thought it was really interesting when you go to some of the principles and procedures, things for establishing the bracket that you all have put out there for the public consumption. And it really is three simple words, select, seed, and place. Um, so let's talk a little bit about just maybe that selection. And I think placement maybe comes into that as well. Um, always a question that people want to talk about is the at-large teams. And I know that those are selected first. How difficult is it to sometimes comb through all of that data? Um, and how does that eye test, the watching of games, come into play there? Yeah, I definitely think that is the toughest. And, yes, we do do the at-large, but I would also say that we continue to do that throughout some of the, you know, like through the selection, mm -hmm. um, through the seeding, not necessarily before the bracketing, but we we definitely continue to add those at-larges um, as we're going through the process. But how it actually starts is every committee member, when we arrive in Indianapolis, the week of selections, you come in, we have this bubble sheet, and you um, make your selection as to who do you think is um is not large i mean there's a list for the aqs but you know you you get that by whoever wins the conference but who you think is an at large and then who you think should be under the consideration and then what happens is that goes into the the 
you know, the seeding selection or the seeding software that we use with the NCAA. And there's a criteria because we have 12 members now, there's a certain percentage that you have to have to be put into, you know, the at large. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the first process that we do to see after everybody puts in what they think when you get into the room is to see where we're at with that and how close are we and how many, you know, more do we need to add right now? Or do we start, you know, moving into the, to the seating before we continue to do that? So this will be my third year doing it. Every makeup of the committee is different. So it depends, you know, on, on what that looks like. Um, But typically we start with a pretty good number. And I will say for most people, um, they're inclusive. You know, if you, if in your mind that you've got someone who mm, not really sure where that is, I would say people are more inclusive than they're not because it's easier to move them out. You can move them into, but I think for the way most people mind works is let's include them for now until, you know, it's no longer time to include them. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're doing that and you're doing that based on all of the data that we have available. Yes. We talked about the numbers, but we have a lot of resources, you know, as well at our fingertips. Um, Again, the information that we get from the conference offices, the information that we get from our regional advisory committees, which is our coaches, the information that we personally have, um, you know, because of where we're at, the games that we've been watching. And then, you know, you kind of start into that. I would say none of it is easy, but um, the hardest part is is, um, you want to make sure that you have the right 64 teams that are in the tournament. Mm-hmm. And I would say we have a lot of debate on the top four seeds, and that certainly mattered previously, um, the top four lines, because that mattered as to who hosts, you know, mm-hmm. your first um, 16. There's a lot of consternation on that to make sure that gets right. But I would also say there's an awful lot of conversation at the end to make sure that we have the right 68 teams, you know, that are in the tournament. And with the parity that there is in women's basketball right now, um, it's making our job a lot harder than what some may think. And I would also say, if you do believe that it is the net, we don't just, if, if it was as easy as just taking the n- number one and going to 68, you know, you wouldn't need us. Um, right. <laughs> but I think that, and what we've learned uh, is that, again, the net is a factor, but it does not um, determine who's in, where they're seated and all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of how you're getting the teams in. Yeah. You want me to keep going? Yeah, but. no, absolutely. I, I think my my one question I would ask you as you think about where it's maybe that comes down to seating and then the placement process is how does geography factor into that? Because I know that's always something that people want to talk or they, they ask about. You mentioned geography, not as much of an instance now because everyone's going to be flying to those regional sites, but it does impact and it has something to do with first and second rounds. Absolutely. So where does that, is there a proximity that you think about? Where does that fit into the conversation? Yes. So geography is a factor, but the other thing I want to mention is there's rules related to conference head-to-heads as well. So you have to protect certainly... Um, the top four lines, and that's what we refer to as the top 16. As if, you know, you go by the one line, the two line, the three line, the four. I know that it ends up being one through 68, but that's kind yeah. of how we do it in our minds. Um, and when you do that, you cannot have a conference matchup um, in the first in the first round. Okay. Depending on the number of teams that you get in your league, you can't do it for the first four either, like in the first and second round. As you, if your conference ends up getting more, um, teams in, then, you know, there's some alleviation because you can't avoid a matchup if mm-hmm. you've got, you know, eight teams from one league. So it, that is also plays a factor, which is the geography as well. Um, 
with the when it comes to the top four lines, so the top 16 seeds, geography has nothing to do with it. You try to do the true S curve, right? And so mm-hmm. one 16, those those matchups are what you do when you do those brackets. The toughest thing in that line, like I said, is if there's a conference that you have to try to avoid. Um, but then as you're going through that bracketing, yes, um, when it comes to geography, if you can move somebody from you know the six line to the seven line to avoid you know, a flight and it could be a drive. Yes. That's in the principles that we have the ability to do that. And you're, and you're looking at that for the one or the first and second round. We used to have to do that as well for the regionals and it will still be a factor, but now because of where those are located, it's not going to be as much of a factor. And so hopefully that gives us the flexibility to do the true one through 68, which is how, when we're going through before we start seeding, that's how we do it. We put them in, in number order, you know, Mm -hmm. so you've got your list and then that's that second piece where you do your seeding or sorry, that's where we seed them. And then mm-hmm. you go to your bracketing, which could be where you end up moving them from a, a four to a five or, a, you know, a six to a, a five or whatever that is. So right. um, all of that plays into it. But I'm really excited to see how it turns out this year without having that restriction. Yeah, I think that does change it. And I think one other thing that I think it, it seems to always be a question and a lot of people don't really understand, you talk about the makeup of your of your committee, those 12 people all coming from institutions, conferences, et cetera. Um, and, wh- and because they're all representing either that individual school or that conference, how do you handle it when the time comes for you either to all be in the room and you do selections and seating, how do, you know, when do I have to abstain from a conversation, leave the room? How does that part work? Great question. Yes. If you are representing an institution and your institution is in the, the numbers that we're talking about. So usually what happens is you rank eight, you move four. So when you're looking at teams, um, you know, you've got your, your eight and then you move four. So if we're talking about those eight teams and your institution is in that, you get to go for a coffee break. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it depends on, and then that could happen a bunch of different times, right? Yeah. Cause you could be in that eight and maybe you don't move into the four. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then you're, you get back into when you add another four, you're still part of the new eight and okay. it can continue like that. So every time your institution um, is is brought up, then you have to leave the room. Mm-hmm. Now, this is going to be a new role for me because I'm at the conference office and not yeah. at an institution. But yes, when the conference is being talked about, I will have to leave the room. Um, yeah. So it could be an interesting day for me. I, I'm really, obviously, I would like a lot of Pac-12 schools in, but at the same time, you know, I really want to be a part of the process too. So uh, yeah. it'll be, it'll be exciting, but no, they, we definitely pay attention to that. And um the great news is, is that, you know, we've got a lot of people who um, do come from schools who make it into the tournament. So they also understand, I think the benefit of that, and certainly from the lens that I've had, you know, being fortunate to do that is then when we're talking about the championship, we understand what it's like on the other side too. Like this group is putting into place all of these things that are happening, but then when you experience it as a participant, you know, what can we change as far as a, as a committee to improve all of that? No, so. that makes total sense. And like you said, you might have a lot of coffee breaks over the course of that <laughs> few days. You never know. And I would assume that sometimes that could be both a good and a bad problem to have. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So when we when we come back in just a moment, we're going to talk with Lisa about what is to come next for this committee and what to expect in Dallas, Texas, as we celebrate 50 years of Title IX in the United States at this year's 2023 Final Four. But first, from our friends at TurboTax, who helped to make today's episode possible, you need to go to TurboTax and don't 
do your taxes. You meet with an expert who will do them for you. TurboTax experts can relieve you from the stress of taxes and file for you so you don't have to do your taxes. Show your eyes things that are not your taxes. You get to unpack. Maybe if you've been moving, you get to taste, not taxes, sing, not taxes, whatever it is, you'll be able to do it. With TurboTax, an expert will do your taxes from start to finish, ensuring that your taxes are done right, guaranteed, so you can relax. Feels good to be done with your taxes, doesn't it? Because you haven't had to do it. So come to TurboTax and don't do your taxes. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. Intuit TurboTax. Full service products only. Video meeting while an expert does your taxes is required. You can see the guaranteed details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Hi, everybody. I am Missy Heydrich. Thank you so much for being with us here on Locked on Women's Basketball. I am joined today by Lisa Peterson, chair of the Division I NCAA Women's Basketball Committee. All right, Lisa, we've talked a little, we've talked a lot about the process and how all that happens. But let's talk a little bit about what comes next for this committee. You mentioned it. You're going to be all gathering soon in Indianapolis. And I think something that's been new over the past year or two has been this announcement of the top 16 seeds, sort of the teaser process, um, gaining and building on the popularity of women's basketball all across the country. Um, Two questions on that. What prompted that decision to start doing that? And do you feel like it's helping to build momentum and excitement around the tournament? Um, absolutely. And I, that last piece that you just said, that was the intent. It was to get people talking about women's basketball earlier. Um, the debating, I think, you know, is one of the things. And, um, if you remember last year, we had three top 16 reveals. One was, it was already, it would have already been done by now. And all of us are very grateful with the way, um, the season is playing out that we didn't do that. But if you remember where there was a lot of conversation about our top 16 and where certain schools with strong history were going to end up playing if it were to hold true. So it, it did, it caused the debate. It caused a lot of, you know, um, social media chatter, which I think is 100% the intent, but also it, it's to, you know, highlight what's happening in women's basketball. And there is a lot, a lot of really good teams that are out there and it, it's fun to watch. Um, I also think too, it gets a lot of people with women's basketball being at home hosted sites. It gets a lot of people excited about the possibility that their institution is going to be hosting it. So I think there's a lot of positives that are, that are there. I think some of the negatives are when there is a big change from what happens when we do a top 16 reveal and and, you know, then the the questions about what happens there. Um, but yes, so we go to Indianapolis next week. Actually, to be honest with you, I'm going to Cleveland this week to do the logo unveiling for the 2024 championship in Cleveland. Um, okay. And then next week we go to Indianapolis and we have our first top 16 reveal um, on Thursday night. So very excited about that. It'll be um, the first time for this group to do that. And it, it gets really exciting. And like I said, maybe what we thought a week ago after what happened last week, maybe our numbers have changed a little bit. And I'm sure by next Thursday, that will also be the case. So we have that. And then we do another one on February 23rd um, okay. of the top 16 reveal. And in between then and selections, we have two more rat calls and several more conference monitoring calls. Um, and then, like I said, a lot more conversation um, and watching games. And then we will end up in Indianapolis um, on that Tuesday um, before selection. So what is that? March 11th. Don't quote mm -hmm. me on the date. March 7th, maybe it's yeah. early. And then um, it's really been exciting moving the selection show to Sunday. I think that um, it was a whole night of basketball, which was kind of fun to be able to do that, you know, with the men's committee. It did put more pressure on us because we had to start earlier. 
but also because we've added, you know, that first four games, um, it's a really short turnaround, you know, and again, from the yeah. men's, they're going to a neutral site. Dayton's already getting prepared for it. On the women's side, we heard some different things that they really liked going to the campus and staying at the campus. Whereas, you know, the men after Dayton, they have to fly somewhere. And I think that there's with the minimum amount of air charter that's available now, you know, mm -hmm. um, in the country, there were some challenges with that for the men's team that had to travel somewhere afterwards. So we heard that feedback. We also heard that, you know, the places that they went, and I will say South Carolina as one of them, because mm -hmm. Dawn Staley and her staff and team did a really great job of making the, the teams that were there to play in that first four game feel a part of the tournament. It was definitely an, um, a championship atmosphere. And so mm -hmm. they what we heard from those four teams was that they liked that. So having said that, now that we have the selections on Sunday, um, there's a really short turnaround because teams are playing, you know, on Wednesday and Thursday. So right. it, it really speeds up all of that. And then we will do the first four round, first and first four games. We'll do first and second rounds and then we'll head to either Greenville or South Carolina. And then we end up in Dallas. And as we were talking about division one, two, and three um, championship, I'm really excited about that. The way that it reads is you have to, try and get that done twice in a 10 year span. And I feel okay. very fortunate that I get to be on the committee during that process. Um, yeah. You know, the, and just for folks listening, what it'll be is the semifinals for division one will be on Friday. The championship game for division two and division three will be on Saturday. And then the championship game for division one will be on Sunday. So it's going to be an incredible weekend in Dallas. The men's tournament is in Houston. Don't call me, but it's not that far down the road. You could do both. <laughs> if you really You're good. And so it's just going to be really exciting. And then, as you mentioned before, it is the 50th year of Title IX. Um, there is going to be some specific celebration around that. It's kind of like the culmination of the 50-year celebration will end up at that championship. There's other things that are happening there um, related to DEI. Like, it's just going to be a really great environment. And Dallas is um, very excited to be hosting that championship for all three divisions. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great display of women's basketball because I think just in general, people forget some of the outstanding teams, um, longstanding programs and history of success that happen at the Division Two and Division level, Division Three level. We get myopic sometimes and we talk about Power 5 and D1, but I think it will be great for people to be able to see that in person, to see more, to see the elevation of that. And it does. It does celebrate Title IX in the best of ways because it's a great display of what that is really about, about giving women that opportunity. Um, I want to ask you just personally, as you've and you know, you've done this. And one thing I didn't mention at the beginning was that in your tenure at Oregon, you chaired the Division One Women's Volleyball Committee. So you now have seen this from two different sports. Um, but. I would think that there's a little bit of a heightened stress level when you're kind of holding the postseason hopes of a team and student athletes kind of in your hands. But as you look at it from each year and, and different sport to sport, um, how exciting is that? And that has to be a pretty fulfilling role to be able to fill. Absolutely. Um, it is certainly stressful. And that's why I said, do you like making sure that we've got the right um, 68 teams in or 64 in volleyball in, you know, you did a lot of work to make sure that that happened because you do want to get it right. And I'm not saying that we get it perfect. And, um, you know, Charlie cream is the first one to tell us when we get it wrong. Um, but I, it, it is, it is definitely fulfilling and rewarding and, and also hopefully, you know, making sure that we're keeping, um, 
the student athlete experience and the championship experience at the forefront. Yes, there are a lot of things that go on um, around it. And there's, you know, a lot of conversation that can be had, but at the end of the day, it really is about the student athlete experience and crowning that champion. And, you know, little girls everywhere um, when they're growing up are like, I can't wait to, to be in the NCAA tournament. And I want to be a national championship, a national champion. And, and to see them fulfill that, it's really exciting. My favorite is always when you get a team that's in the tournament for the first time, or you get a school that's hosting for the first time, um, just the level of excitement that they have uh, around that. And um, we do take it seriously because we don't want we don't want to mess that up because of what it could mean for somebody. So I personally enjoy it. It is a lot of work. It is a lot of stress, um, but it's certainly all worth it in the end. Well, I think that's awesome. And if there's a couple things that I could leave with today, number one that I've learned last 10 games count for absolutely um, and that there is a lot of conversation, which I don't think people probably realize amongst your group and coaches and that ha and that coaches do have a voice in this process that it isn't just a computer that shoves out information and i think maybe that's one thing that a lot of people don't really understand is that there is that input we assume that folks at the conference offices are you know going to want to uh give their input and they're going to want to be promoting the teams from their league, but yet coaches do can give you a different perspective. I guess my last question to you, when you think about this upcoming, the next 16 seeds, um, are there things that you're hearing from coaches just about this year of college basketball that maybe you haven't heard in the past? Um, I, I think that we, I don't know if it's not been in the past, but I think it feels more this year is, is the parody. I mean, right now, yes, you have South Carolina and you have LSU who are undefeated. I think both of them have different paths to how they've been undefeated. And I'm really excited for when they play. I, yeah. I, I will be surprised if that is not a record setting, uh, you know, attendance watched game uh, yeah. for the numbers uh, just because of the two styles that they play you know, the history of those coaches and all those things. But I, I think what's really exciting and for good or bad, and we could go another two hours if we want to talk about transfer portal, but um, that really does impact the parity that is across women's basketball. And I think that we're seeing a lot of teams that maybe had a rich history that haven't been great um, that are, you know, back um, at the top again as some teams that you haven't heard of that are getting really successful and so that's what I think is exciting is it's not going to be it has the potential to not be the teams that you always think are going to be and in women's basketball for a long time there was probably only about 10 teams that you talked about and I don't think that that's the case anymore which is what makes it really exciting. Yeah, I think that's what's going to make this year's NCAA tournament. And I, I mean, I'm looking forward to conference tournaments and then what those conference tournament means for the full NCAA field, because we know there's going to be the eye test and the piece of that that is going to impact those, no doubt about it. Uh, Lisa, yeah. thank you. This has been a true pleasure to have you here to be able to give your insight to explain so much of this to us, because uh, one of the things we want to do here at Lockdown Women's Basketball, and one of the things I like to do is to be able to get more people the right information about how this game is promoted and what they're seeing. And I think this couldn't have helped us out even more. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Well, absolutely. And on behalf of the Women's Basketball Committee, again, thank you for caring and for wanting the information out there. Um, it, that matters as well. So we really appreciate that. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. You can find me, Missy Heidrich, on Twitter. You can see all of my amazing colleagues at The Next at www.thenexthoops.com. And remember to follow this podcast at 
Locked On WBB on Twitter. You can join me. Please come back on Mondays where we talk everything college hoops, but then also come back all of this week for more episodes, more college basketball news and notes, international. Uh, we know the WNBA moves are coming. Free, agent, free agency is hot and heavy. There is never a moment to miss it. You've got us everything right here on Locked On Women's Basketball. Thank you for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen today. Now, make your second listen game-to-game NBA every moment, every top performance, every result. Locked On Game-to-Game NBA covers every game from across your area with local analysis that only the Locked On group can deliver. Follow Game-to-Game NBA on the Locked On Network, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. We will see you next time, everybody, right here on Locked On Women's Basketball. Stay with us. We have got you covered. Yay!